Welcome to Career Revisionist with Dr. Grace Lee, dedicated to doers, dreamers, and realists who want more success and satisfaction in their life. This podcast is about answering one question. How can you build a fulfilling career where it's all about doing work you love and growing your income without sacrificing your values? And here's your host. She refuses to eat anything within two hours of her bedtime, Dr. Grace Lee. I made a huge mistake that cost me one of the best opportunities I almost got. It was years ago when I was working in corporate, and at that time, I was really unhappy in the company that I was working with. It just wasn't the right environment. It wasn't the right fit. I wasn't enjoying it, and I was, frankly, I was quite miserable. And I was looking for opportunities, and one such opportunity came up in Hong Kong. And I, I'm, I'm based in Canada. I was based in Canada at that time when I was in corporate too. And I was thinking of, I was really serious about moving to Asia and and looking for opportunities there. I stumbled across this smaller biotech company that was there and it was a it was a privately owned company at that time but they were just on the brink of going public so there was a lot of positive things happening and they were just doing amazing things in that company i got a warm referral from someone i knew on linkedin who is also based in vancouver where i am now and he gave me a warm introduction to the ceo of that company and it was just an amazing introduction and there there it was my foot in the door and so I flew out to Hong Kong and I met him and the CEO was very excited, very welcoming to meet me. There I was in his office, beautiful office on a high tower in one of the universities in Hong Kong. And it was just a beautiful campus. And they had a very attractive looking building, one of those futuristic buildings that looked like it came out of a, a spaceship or something. <laughs> That's really what it looked like. And it was just phenomenal. And this this gentleman, he was young. Uh, Hong Kong, from Hong Kong, but he was educated in the U.S., so he spoke English very well. And so we were talking, and then and it came to the interview that we had our chat in his office there, and then he started to show me around his offices, and I started to see the empire that he was building and the strategic partnerships that he was setting up with a lot of heavy hitters in Asia, you know, in Europe, and even in the U.S., and it was just a powerful alliance. And I saw the potential and I was really excited for the work that they were doing and the impact they're going to make in healthcare for a certain set of patients, right? And so I was super, super excited. And he introduced me to all of his colleagues, to all of the, the researchers that work there as well. And my position was going to be quite high level, you know, it was like a in managerial, but it was like the senior level of a managerial role. So I was super excited to meet them. And everyone that I met was very welcoming as well, very warm to me. And it all, se- it all seemed to be going really well. And then came time for, you know, my visa expired and I, well, my plane ticket was, it was a return flight. So I had to fly back to Vancouver. And so the CEO told me, well, you know, what a coincidence. I'm going to be in Vancouver as well. Let's set up a time to meet. And so couple of scheduling appointments later, we found a time to meet and I went to meet him in downtown Vancouver. We were at a sushi restaurant, a very high end sushi restaurant. He has really, he has really fantastic taste. And we met for a short lunch. So had a quick bite to eat and we were chatting. And that was when he started asking me about me for the first time. So the interview that we had in Hong Kong was a lot about understanding how I work, how I think, the contributions I made in my previous corporate job, um, what, how, why I was feeling, why, why I was feeling that I wanted to leave that corporate position, things like that. It was very professional. So when he came to Vancouver, 
that he started to ask me, this was the conversation we were having over sushi. He was asking me about me, you know, where did I, and one thing that he asked me that really stood out to me was where I went to high school. What was my high school experience? And here's, if you don't know this, don't know this about me yet, I was adopted when I was 14. And the high school that I went to is in a small village in the heart of the prairie provinces, right? It was a village in the prairies of the central Canada. And here's the thing about, about that experience. It's very unique. You know, I was literally the only non-Caucasian person in my class. And my class sizes were small. They, they were 12 students in my graduating class. All, all the years of high school, you know, grades 9 to 12 were all small like that. And I was the only non-Caucasian. And it wasn't a very, it was not a very, it was not a very positive experience there. You know, I had a lot of hardships in my personal life to get to that point. And I remember when I graduated and I went to college, I went to university, I chose to study major in biochemistry in my bachelor's degree, I felt so unprepared. My first year was a very, very difficult transition from a high school of that caliber going into one of the top universities in Canada. It was a really tough transition and I felt so unprepared for it. And so what that what that garnered for me was this deep-seated like kind of like feeling ashamed that I went to a high school like that. And I was always very, very hesitant to share that part of my life. Like I didn't want to share with people. I came from a small town in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, and, you know, that kind of a history, that kind of a background, because in the academic world, people love to praise and give, give um, notes to and give credit to people who have, much come from very well-to-do families, right? And I definitely didn't. I had a very broken history and it was a very tough time in my life. So it was like one of those things that I always hesitated sharing. And in the beginning, it was even worse because I didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't want people to find out. So I would always, I would always avoid the question, redirect the question or lie about it. Right, that was my approach. And so when here I was in the sushi restaurant in Vancouver, and there's a CEO asking me a question that I was really sensitive about. So I didn't lie to him. I didn't redirect the question, but I didn't tell him the complete truth as well. Right. So the information I told him was very incomplete. And I was very uh what do how do you say it? I was very I was very dodgy about it. You know, I told him, yes, I did I went to school in Canada and I just said, Oh, it was in central Canada. Yeah, and I, and I kind of just, like, you can see that it was a question that I hesitated to answer, right? So the conversation carried on, and he seemed to ask me a little bit more about uh, how I grew up, um, what was my family situation, things like that. It was a very personal nature. And it was, and of course, all of those all of those subjects were very sensitive. They've always been sensitive to me because of my family history of being adopted, you know, and also of having a broken family, have being the wanted one, the black sheep of my family, being the one that was rejected and abandoned by my own father, things like that, the whole story, right? I didn't share that with him. I didn't share that with him because I didn't, I didn't want to give that give that impression moving forward that I was I came from that background so I didn't share it so what so everything I gave him was very surface level so it was incomplete it was an incomplete picture but I did it very professionally right I I still said it very professionally and I was very uh, it was very polite about it I was very professional about it I was very um, politically correct about everything that I said so then the meeting went like that and then I did not 
and I didn't end up getting the job, right? I didn't end up getting the job. And it was just, it was, it was a shock to me because on paper, I was the best candidate. You know, I had all the credentials. I had all the qualifications. The work experience was there. I got the warm referral. You know, I met everyone, everything checked out, but it didn't happen. Right. So now in retrospect, you know, in retrospect, you know, I got the feedback. I was very, I was very, one of the things about me is that I'm very forward in terms of getting feedback because I want to improve and I want to be able to teach others what I've learned as well. So that's what, that was my mindset, my frame, my mindset going in. So I got the feedback and that's the mistake that I made. The mistake that I made was I was too focused on my qualifications, the way that I looked on paper, the image that I wanted to head out. And I forgot and neglected that there are things about you the soft skills about you that cannot be shown on a resume, that cannot be shown on paper, that are equally, if not more important, depending on the culture you're coming from. And of course, I was interviewing in Hong Kong, that culture, the Asian culture is so different from that in North America, right? So that to them is very important where you came from, the hardships you've encountered, that was very important to have that personal connection to my history, the past going that far, right? For me, it was very sensitive because I'm now that I've, you know, I, I, I was born, like I spent my primary years in Hong Kong, but I'm more adapt to the North American cultures, right? So then I sort of neglected that. And of course, having that shame about my history didn't help as well. So that's the thing. Here's what I learned the hard way is that the soft skills that you need to succeed in your career are equally, if not more important, depending on the culture, than those hard skills that you can demonstrate in your resume or that you can demonstrate in an interview. Right. So what I want to do in this episode is just to talk about four key soft skills that you need to succeed in your career. And these soft skills, you can't demonstrate that you have them. You can't directly list them on a resume. Um, you can't but there's no credential you can get that shows that you have these soft skills. So there's got to be a way to work them in a conversation. There, there has to be. In, in interview questions, what you want to do is when you're having conversations with potential bosses or potential collaborators, you have to be open to the fact that they, are, they could be fishing for these things, right? They could be fishing to find out, well, how developed are you in each of these four soft skills? Okay, so the first soft skill that I want to draw your attention to is active listening, right? So here's the thing, to be successful you in your career, you need to know how to communicate with people from entry level all the way to senior executive and all the way to CEO in your workplace because you are not working in isolation. You might not answer directly to the CEO or directly to VP level management, but you do answer to somebody who eventually does answer to them. Right. And you and there are going to be times where you're going to be in a room making decisions and they're going to be present in the room. So you have to be able to communicate with them to be able to communicate with them means that you have to have you have to practice active listening. Right. You have you have to have this overall give this overall perception that you are a communicator. Right. Because today's complex today's workplace is very complex. It has teams that are in a matrix, right? They are teams that are very highly variable. There's colleagues that are remote. There's colleagues from all different cultures all around the world. And you have to make decisions fast because the marketplace is constantly changing. Things are evolving very fast. And every company that you work for is going to be made up of people. Every company that you work for 
is going to be a part of a competitive marketplace. They're going to have competition, and the marketplace, the customers they serve, are always going to be demanding more, demanding faster, demanding better. So then, that's why companies have to evolve to keep up with those market demands, or else their competitors are going to beat them. So that's why, when you are practicing active listening, you have to be able to make rapid decisions with them, which means that you have to have when you when you are actively listening to those to your colleagues, to your the people around you, you have to have an understanding. Be have a level of open mindedness and supportiveness to make you a great communicator. Right. So then. I would impress upon you to build this active listening muscle, right? And the way to do that is really to limit the distractions, limit the number of distractions that are around you. And there's so many: the phone in your hand, the computer screens, the music, everything. Limit those distractions around you, and quiet your own preconceived notions about what this person might say. So no matter who you are talking to, one on one or one to many, they you are. In, you are seeing the world through your own lens. Your world is a perception, your own perception. So instead of having your own preconceived notions about another person, just allow them to say what they will say, and take it in with an open mind, without any assumptions, without any um, without any assumptions of what they might say. Right, and as they are talking, as they are talking, keep in mind that they have their perceptions too, and you have yours. So when they say something, it might not be what you expected, but nonetheless, pay attention to them, pay attention to the emotion, their emotional state, and formulate a response that acknowledges their feelings. Because you might not agree with what they're saying, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything they say. It doesn't mean you have to you have to abate yourself. It doesn't mean that you have to adopt their values and abandon all of yours. It just means that you have to acknowledge their feelings, right? Acknowledge their feelings, acknowledge them where they are at, and create this space where they can be authentic and you can be authentic, and it's okay, right? So one way to do that. Is for to acknowledge it is when they say something you paraphrase it back to them, a version right restate a paraphrase version of what they said, right asking follow up questions clarifying call follow up questions and watch any of the nonverbal cues that they might have, right especially if you are working in a cross cultural teams which is more and more likely now with the amount of remote workers that are possible so look for nonverbal cues. Being sensitive to their cultures and what these non-verbal cues might mean in your culture versus their culture, just to build your muscle of active listening. Right. So this is a soft skill that people you don't list that on a skills on a skills section in your LinkedIn profile or on your resume. You don't list you don't list active listener, but it is something that is a very very important skill if you need if you want to advance your career if you want to communicate with people who really have an influence on. Your professional future, right? Because if you are actively listening to senior management, if you are actively listening to people who are levels above you in your company, or levels above you in the marketplace, right? They will feel understood, and when they feel understood, that's where they have connections with you, right? So that is the first soft skill I want to talk about: is active listening. The second soft skill is about how agile you are in learning. Right, something called learning agility, right? Because the key is to never stop learning, and you never do. I mean, that's like a, it sounds like an age-old saying that oh, you never stop learning. But 
Never stop learning just doesn't mean you go through life and you learn what comes your way. Never stop learning also means that you deliberately choose things and look for things that you can learn. So one of it is actively looking for things you can learn and putting in the hard work, putting in the time to learn them. But also active learning means that you're going through life and in the moments of failure, in the moments of disappointment, in letdown, in the moments of things not working out the way you thought, in the moments of conflict, those difficult times or unexpected times, you're looking for things that you can learn from that, right? Because taking all these failures, all these challenges and things that turn, turn out the way you wanted to, as op- taking them as opportunities for learning, that is also being learning agile. Right? Having this hunger for learning and problem solving is desirable skill, skill in any field. Right? So if you, there's been a study that came out um, in the study, and I wish I remember the, the, the journal it came in. It's not, I'm not recalling it right now, but the study came out saying that they, they did a survey of thousands of employees and workers out there and asking them what, what they rate as having job dissatisfaction. Right? What causes them to feel dissatisfied, feel unfulfilled or, or unhappy in a job? And one of them, one of the top reasons was that they didn't feel like they were learning anything. So learning is really important for fulfillment, not just for advancing your career, but it's important to feel fulfillment, to feel like you are making a contribution, right? So the managers who rate a highly who, who rate as highly agile, they actually receive double the number of promotions compared to those who rate lower for agility. So you want to practice that. You want to push your brain to be more agile, stepping out of your daily routine, and maybe you can pursue a hobby, learn more things, right? Push yourself to learn more about trends, not just in your industry, but in other industries too, because there's always cross-disciplinary applications of things that you learn. So you want to, by indulging in those curiosities, Give yourself permission to be curious and indulge in your curiosity, shaking up what you know to be true. What you're doing is you're developing a skill that is not only going to be more useful as companies look for new ways to compete in a fast-changing world. Okay, so that is the second soft skill. The third one is having emotional intelligence, right? So emotional intelligence is like having empathy when you are when you have adaptability and you have emotional self-control. It's where whatever comes your way, which you have absolutely no control over, but you can control your own response to it, right? That is emotional intelligence. You are able to manage yourself. You are having self-control. You are able to understand your emotions and not let them control you, right? That's one of the skills that may help you get promoted to a leadership position, right? Having emotional intelligence helps you with becoming a leader. And it also ensures that you thrive once you've landed one, right? So when an employee moves into management and then into leadership, their responsibility becomes less about doing the work, And it's more about managing people. And managing people requires emotional intelligence. That's why success, a career path success, really does depend on your ability to hone your emotional intelligence. right? But it's a benefit in every role because you'll always have to deal with people. So one thing to do that is to separate your thoughts from your feelings in each interaction that you're going to have. And that's how you'll build the emotional intelligence muscle over time. So the fourth soft skill is having being motivated internally, 
right? So there's there, there's two types of motivations. You can be intrinsically motivated or you can be extrinsically motivated. And I'll start with the, the latter one first. So if you're extrinsically motivated, it means that you have to look for things on the outside to motivate you to do something. It could be like, oh, I'm, I don't feel motivated until I know I can be paid a lot of money. Or it could be like, I don't feel motivated until someone has to come in and remind me to do it. Or I, I don't feel motivated. I won't feel motivated doing it unless I was punished for not doing it. Okay, then I'll do it. So those things are all examples of external motivation, right? But the soft skill that's going to be important to get past, to succeed, and to advance your career is intrinsic motivation, which means you don't need anything outside of you. You just naturally are motivated to do it, right? So intrinsic motivation, you can also call it self-motivation, right? But it's really a desire to challenge yourself. It's a desire to explore and learn about external rewards like, and, and, and do that, all of that, without rewards on the outside like money or recognition. It's what gets you out of the bed in the morning. And I believe that the way to be intrinsically motivated is when you know that what you're doing is connected to your purpose, when it is connected to something that you value very highly. When you value something highly, no one has to remind you to do it. You don't have to be paid paid in order to do it. You don't have to be punished in order to do it. Right? You just naturally do it. And as you're doing it, you enjoy it. You feel fulfilled. You feel like you're in your element and time just passes you by. That is how you are intrinsically motivated. And that leads to success because the driving forces behind it are deeper and they're more fulfilling than a paycheck. There was a study at Yale University that found that intrinsically motivated people were more likely to succeed compared with those who entered due to external motives or a mix of internal or external ones. Right? So think about what are your intrinsic motivators? Have, think about times in the past where you were intrinsic motiv- intrinsically motivated and nothing on the outside had to happen in order for you to, to do this thing. Right? So there's moments like that and go back to that. What were you doing? What, what are those things that... that what are those activities that you feel naturally motivated to do? And what are the traits that you assume? Like, are you curious? Are you an agile learner in that moment? You know, what is it about that activity that you enjoyed so much that you didn't need an external motivation to do it? Right? Share your intrinsic motivators, like curiosity or the desire to help others. Share them when you're talking to someone, when you're communicating with a colleague, and especially if you're going on a job interview, tell them what are your intrinsic motivators, right? And of course, when you, as a communicator, you know, you want to share stories because people remember what you say more when you wrap your message around a story. So tell us a personal story about what drove you to choose that field. And that's how you can, that's how you can improve your performance in an interview so you can see going back to the story that i told about that biotech company in hong kong it wasn't that okay i was intrinsically motivated to work for them i was intrinsically motivated to be in that in that world and just to learn something new because i'm motivated by challenge and that was going to be a very challenging role it had an international very visible role so it was very challenging and i really desired it but the thing is what i neglected was that I didn't see the other side of qualifications. I was just focused on, okay, qualifications is what you have on paper. It's what you've done, the things that you've earned, right? But the thing is, you know, team members, leaders, CEOs, potential bosses, high-level management, they're looking for 
A players. They're looking for culture, a culture fit. And the way that they explore that is really to understand the soft skills that you bring. So with everything that you are looking at in your future, with every path that you have in view, don't neglect that. It's really important that you ask yourself, what are the key soft skills? What are the soft skills that I have right now in my professional life? What are the soft, what are the soft skills that I have really honed over the years in my professional life? And how can I bring those to surface? Because it's not something that will be sh- that shows up in resumes. So how can I demonstrate that I have these soft skills? How can I demonstrate that in my conversation with them? How can I demonstrate that in the way that I live, in the reputation that I maintain? How do I demonstrate that and find creative ways to do that? So not don't neglect the soft skills like I did, right? So active listening, right? Being an agile learner, having emotional intelligence and being intrinsically motivated. These are things that really propel you to that next level of your career because it shows them that you are an A player, that you are adaptable, right? And that you are capable and willing to learn, right? So if you enjoyed this content, now give me a rating. Go to, go to iTunes. Let me know your honest feedback, Give me a thumbs up there as well. Uh, you know, rank me or go to uh, go to Google Podcasts, Spotify as well. I'm on I'm on the Android platforms as well. Let me know how what you are working on. Let me know. Drop in the comments what are a couple of soft skills that you're currently working on, right? And if you have questions, drop them in there as well. I'd love to answer my listeners' questions once in a while. And so, thank you, thank you for listening to this episode of Career Revisionist, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. 